Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Ralph Marzen. Ralph is a clinical psychologist, a highly talented trauma therapist with over 20 years of experience working with individuals and groups. And today we're going to be talking about trauma and awakening, which is where Ralph is focusing his work. We'll talk about what is an integrated spirituality, one that includes our divinity, our potential to awaken and open beyond our everyday sense of self into ever deeper layers of intimacy with experience. And it also doesn't deny our humanity. Some of the other topics we'll touch into today, transmuting trauma into gifts. We'll talk about the potency and importance of working in the moment with what is here. A few more words about Ralph. Ralph is the founder of Embodied Trauma Healing. He teaches workshops and seminars internationally. He's an arm therapist. That's a form of therapy that I have experienced and highly recommend. He's trained under Dr. Lawrence Heller for many years, and he now trains people to become NARM therapists. He's also trained in somatic experiencing and integral somatic psychology, and is going to be beginning a study group exploring trauma, healing, and spiritual awakening. And you can find out more about that at his website. We'll link to that in the show notes of this podcast. Okay, with that all being said, let's dive in. Here is the podcast with Ralph Marzen. All right, Ralph, it's really a pleasure to be with you today. And it's funny we're on Zoom, but we're in the same town. So maybe I need to get my my uh, you know recording equipment leveled up so we can do this face to face next time. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to good to connect with you, Joel. Mm, nice. Yeah, well, I'm excited to speak with you today. Uh, we've kind of gotten to know each other a little bit over the last uh, year and a half, and uh, you are a, a trauma practitioner, and we're going to be exploring today uh, your work that you're doing with individuals and with groups. And so maybe you could actually just begin by saying a little bit about you know, what you're up to in the world right now around your work, like what's, what's um, alive inside of your work? What do you do with people? Yeah, thanks. Um, there's a few strands to my work that the one that probably has most of my focus is in broadly speaking, trauma healing and spiritual awakening. Um, that'd be the umbrella uh, for the work. And, and like my brand name for that is Embodied Trauma Healing. But basically, that's me. I, I work with individuals. I work as a psychotherapist, you know, specializing in trauma therapy, and I also do uh, yeah, run groups, seminars, trainings um, uh, in that field. I'm actually also a NARM teacher. I don't know if you've, I think you have come across this work. It's a have, fen- yeah. Fen- yeah, yeah, phenomenally powerful, you know, trauma developmental trauma psychotherapy. So that's what I do in that uh, section. And then I've also had a a bodywork school for like 25 years, uh, time massage school, uh, that I do. And I also have a, a therapy center in, in London called Stillpoint. So those are my various strands. Did I forget anything? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we can start off maybe a bit broader and then zoom in on some of the aspects of your work. I'm I'm actually just really curious to talk about this uh, you know, the the connection between trauma and awakening, because maybe that's maybe maybe that has become more common in the last few years. You know, I remember in spiritual sort of schools and traditions 10 years ago and 
they were never talking about the word trauma. It seems to be coming, you know, it's become more acceptable. And still, you know, to talk about them together uh, is really interesting, I think. So what, what's, um, how do you see the connection between them? Yeah. Mm. Wow, great question. I, I could probably go to like so many different places with that question. Let me see what comes. First of all, yeah, just, you know, also want to acknowledge what you just touched on that like trauma has now become such a household world and word in, in, in the domain of healing. And it's true, like 10 years ago, that was not the case. So, and that's a great thing, you know, there's, there's a lot more widespread understanding of, of the impacts of trauma on our well-being on, on pretty much all levels, you know. So that's great. Like on my own journey, when I first got into trauma therapy, trauma healing work, which is yeah, well more than a decade ago now, um, it, like initially I I kind of made it my my purpose to to bring this basic understanding out into the world, into my circles uh, through my teaching and just help people see like what trauma is and the physiology of it and, you know, nervous system regulation stuff these things that are so like, you know, common knowledge by now and common understanding. So, so, so then my, over the years, my um, interest has shifted more towards like, can I say deeper dimensions of, you know, what trauma means and, and certain, yes, bring a conversation back to that thread within the context of spirituality, spiritual awakening. Um, what can I say about it? I mean, in some ways, you know, I see those two things as separate strands in a way completely unrelated, which is weird. And in another way, they're extremely related. So so let me tell you a little bit more about what I just meant. So how are they unrelated? What's possible is profound spiritual awakening without any integration of traumatic material. That's possible. People do wake up. They pop, they shift their baseline level of consciousness to a to a whole different dimension, and they have done no trauma work whatsoever. And there's a lot of unresolved trauma in them, and that can exist separately. You know, I think one example of that reflects is how many stories do you and you and I know about spiritual teachers who are clearly awake, but have acted in in very unskillful ways without any personal integrity not having like learned to own their shadow we could say you know and what that means is yes they have woken up but there aren't integrated human beings they haven't integrated their trauma so that just to put that out as an example for what i just said how they're unrelated okay how are they profoundly related so once a person has yeah woken up uh then the let's say it like the mm, the charge in which previously split up, split off traumatic material tends to want to rush to the surface for integration becomes way stronger. So so that's one thing. Um, also, so that's more like top down, like post awakening, pre awakening. What happens? And I would say. The majority of my work with individuals is kind of that on that level. What we can do is as we investigate a person's various levels of identification, meaning how do they think about themselves and the world, as we explore those, 
levels of identification and work through them, more space tends to open up because in those identifications, there's like their focus as like filters, they contract the experience of reality down to a much narrower kind of shape. And as we work through those contracted layers of emotions and ideas that people have about themselves in the world, what happens is then space opens up. And in that space, many people experience, uh, you know, states of being, we could say, things go quiet, and the heart opens up, and they get a taste of, yeah, what we could call more spiritual states. So so that's how, you know, those two apparently different dimensions are also very, uh, it's like one continuum, we could say. I'll stop here, I could, I could say a lot yeah. more, but yeah. No, that's really helpful distinctions actually and there's so many questions i want to ask but i'm just curious you know as a practitioner do you find then uh the people you work with your clients accessing these states of of beingness and um you know i'm just curious if you see that happening more easily these days um mm-hmm. but do you see your clients accessing these states of beingness and um and, and then just to also add into that, do you find then, because that's what I like about NARM, and I know you're also uh, trained uh, highly in somatic experiencing and other modalities, but they, they these schools of therapy I like because they're, they're actually uh, rec- they're recognizing these qualities of beingness or they're, no, they're not working from a pathological uh, perspective. You know, and it, it seems like there's more schools emerging like that. Do they, do they, I guess my question is, do they recognize these states of being as well? Yeah. I would say yes, they do. So with somatic experiencing, that's mostly a, a, um, a therapy that's focused on resolving shock trauma, uh, more like bottom up kind of physiological work for the most part. Um, and, and yes, within that implicitly, there is also an understanding of of deeper states of being and Peter Levine, the founder of that work, certainly um, is no stranger to that kind of dimension. When it comes to NARM, um, yeah, that is certainly built in that that understanding of, you know, what we call it just deeper levels of identity, we could say, um, which which go way beyond just the, the, the um, sense of being like a contracted separate individual. Um, so there's that for sure. And and you also asked me a great question about do do I feel like that that's becoming more available to more people, you know, you know, the capacity to drop into those deeper states. It's hard to say what I can say from my own practice, like the more deeply I myself am dropped into those kind of deeper dimensions of my own being um, in the resonance. Yes, certainly my clients will 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 just feel that resonance more to receive that transmission more and something in them will respond more. So, and that goes for all of us, you know, we're, we're all in resonance with one another. We're, we're all picking up on one another's transmission. So that's that. Um, globally speaking. Yeah. I do have a sense that access to those deeper states of being, or we could say awakening is becoming easier for people or like more widely available. That seems to be the case. Um, from as far, far as I can say, it's, uh, yeah. And I certainly, uh, 
yeah, I feel passionate about, you know, my, my main, I have two main like spiritual teachers, mentors that I know, you know, also Stanley Bonder and Lina Groves Bonder. Um, they, they like to speak about like democratizing spirituality and awakening. So to make this more widely available and like, like more in a horizontal kind of non-hierarchical uh, level. And yeah, I think that's incredibly important for us as a human race. And I, I feel passionate about that too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, you know, what I love about their approach and what you're talking about is also, you know, different from what you said before. Yeah, there are people who are awakening who've done no trauma integration. And, you know, you can see that perhaps in some of these teachers that we that become kind of well-known, infamous teachers, you know. Um, and and what I like, so what I like about what you're saying, though, is that it's like embrace, there's an inclusiveness of our humanity or, or of our, you know, of our conditioning. Um, and I know Samuel and Linda, that's really important too, you know, and yeah. we could talk about that for a long time as well, but yeah. Oh, we sure could. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly another theme I'm, I'm passionate about, you know. Um, I think genuine, like, embodied and integrated spirituality is the opposite of splitting, you know. So so many people just, like, run after this, like, awakened state where, where they just reside in non-dual consciousness, basically having transcended humanity or their own humanity. And, and of course, that's a very attractive uh, ideal to, to strive for because, well, then we're just, or we, we imagine we're beyond the, the human suffering and the, the clunkiness of the system and the, the thousand issues we have in our personal lives and all these things. Uh, but what I've come to see, at least, yeah, for myself, is that that illusion doesn't hold up. I don't think anybody really resides in this transcendent state having just totally gone beyond their humanity i think yes that state can coexist though and that's the word with an even deeper like dropping into into our vulnerable and flawed imperfect humanity you see and that for me is the is the pinnacle of of the of the type of awakening that i'm passionate about like the full integration of our what we could call totality identity as as finite humans with all our stuff and our trauma and everything and our issues and our infinite dimension of, of, of pure beingness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that uh, speaks to me as well. I mean, maybe you could say something about um, that seems like that's a journey you've made and, and, um, what's that journey been like for you in terms of, um, grappling with, I don't know if that's the right word. That is like, the perfect word. That is yeah. exactly the word grappling. Yes. Yeah. With the, because yeah, that the, perhaps the flashing in or oscillating in to one or the other, and yeah, great. Uh, how the resolution might take place. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have grappled hard in my life with <laughs> with with human suffering and my own personal pain. I don't know for some reason. I don't know why, but that seems to have been the the one driving force in my whole life. Um, from a young age, you know, I I 
I I was so curious about like the deeper dimensions of what it means to like, you know, hang out in this 3D world as a human. And I, I wanted to get to the bottom of this. And I I, I don't know, I uh, I kind of was quite experimental with substances early on in my life and and you know started you know on a spiritual journey quite quite early on and it was all motivated by yeah wanting to like find answers to the profound pain that I was feeling inside and I think much of it has to do with my own personal trauma but I think it also went beyond that just to like to the dimension of yeah collective trauma perhaps transgenerational what do I know or the or the pain and trauma of being a separate human in this world. So I've always been passionate about trying to investigate that. And I've done more things that I can tell you, like try methods and techniques and whatnot. Uh, we don't have time for that. I've, I've looked everywhere and um, both on the level of like kind of psychological work as well as yes, spiritual approaches and you know, I've certainly had glimpses early on, you know, into my true identity, um, but but it, it wouldn't hold up. And uh, so I was always like running, you know, this carrot on the stick was there and I was always running and seeking and seeking. I had relentlessly strong uh, seeking energy running, you know, and yeah. And then when I when I when I found out about uh, the trauma work and the trauma therapy, things really began to make more sense. I. I I, I accessed a more uh, clear and and like meaning making framework for the nature of my suffering. I, I I got to realize like I'm not crazy. This isn't just this weird like curse that God gave me or anything. There's just a lot of trauma in my body mind, and that's what that is. So yeah, so then I so I got into that work um, both on my own journey as well as training to, to facilitate that for others, and. That really began to uh, help me integrate more and more as a as a human being. Um, you know, my stuff, uh, although of course that's ongoing, it's never complete, but but yeah, um, gosh, I could go into so many places here. and and yet, though, in my own personal life, there was a tremendously challenging period, you know, uh, where where just nothing was working anymore, and I was kind of falling apart in a way. Uh, I know people sometimes refer to this as dark night or something. I think that 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 kind of makes sense, you know. And and the and the longing and the seeking became like all consuming, you know. And um, so so then two things then happened that that really started uh, not started that really mm, shifted things profoundly. One is that I I, I ended up uh, doing in again in my in my driven search doing like an online meditation course of all things, but a, but a course that's really geared toward awakening. It's like, okay, brilliant stuff. I can actually just name it. It's it's called 45 Days to Awakening, previously called the Finder's Course. Right. This is brilliant stuff. It's done by Jeffrey Martin. I highly recommend it to, everybody, to anybody who, who might be interested. It's like they have condensed, you know, so many spiritual paths and, and techniques into like, an extremely scientifically grounded approach where they just, you know, give you a lot of different modalities to play with. 45 days, you apply yourself, you really do. And then they check your own progress. And based on that, they give you more techniques. I think they have a, like a rate of people dropping into persistent states of awakening of like 70% or something. 
in 45 days is crazy. So anything, anyway, that happened to me too. Um, as part of that course, something really opened up into more like a, uh, yeah, a certain level of, of, of more than stabilized awakeness for sure. And however, though, um, there was still a, a drive left. There was still a, like the seeking energy hadn't stopped. Um, right. And there was still a fluctuation in states and there was still this running, not running, but seeking for transcendence. I was still operating in this split between wanting more transcendence and wanting kind of go, go wanting to go beyond my humanness. That was, it was more subtle, subtle, but it was still playing. And so then in that, in that phase, I reached out to, uh, we both have uh, mentioned them already, my ten teachers, Samuel and Samuel Bonder and Linda Groves Bonder, because I knew they specialized in exactly in working with exactly that dynamic. And in my work with them, yeah, that 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 split then kind of mm, dissolved, and the seeking energy I can say just yeah stopped and 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 I I, I went to what they call like a second birth awakening, which which is really like a like a dropping into this totality identity. And there's, there isn't really this, this, this felt sense of, of splitting reality into different parts anymore. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's very beautiful. I'm deeply, deeply, deeply grateful for that. But that doesn't mean that my trauma is gone. And this brings me back to this, uh, this being two separate dimensions. So my trauma is still as ongoing as it has been. So the work continues, you know, there's layers and layers and layers to clear. Uh, and that in a way has nothing to do with, 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 a, on that level with the awakening. It doesn't, this is what I'm trying to say. Awakening doesn't resolve or heal the trauma by itself. It doesn't. Many people have that illusion, but that's not the case. Right. Yeah. yeah. And this is, I think, a really important place, isn't it? Uh, because you said this earlier that post-awakening can actually uh, facilitate the release of even more trauma. And I think that's kind of becoming recognized as being a more common thing. And, um, you know, certainly I've experienced in my life shifts where suddenly, you know, I've, I've ac accessed a kind of different, relationship to my moment to moment experience that's that's expanded and then and yet you know yeah. uh actually what came with that was um you know like even like dark night of the soul despair loss of meaning uh high high states of agitation or, yeah. or anxiety so yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. want to question the thank you. I want to yeah. question the one word that you that you used there. You said so. I have this expanded level of consciousness, and yet there's all these like contracted energies coming in. I would say it's Brilliant. because of that, you know. Right. It's because of that. Why? Because there is more space, you know. Yeah. Like when there is a shift toward, um, yeah, more like a, a awake, more liberated consciousness that is by nature very very spacious. It's 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 no longer bound as much in the contracted sense of separate identity. So what that means, all of a sudden, there's way more space. And now, because there seems to be the, like this innate um, orientation of the system for more healing and more integration, so then because of that spaciousness, all these layers can begin to surface. 
you know, for, yes, for integration and for healing. So in a way, that's ultimately a very um, healthy process that can propel us toward becoming more integrated human beings. But is it lovely and comfortable? It sure isn't. And many people have been shocked. It's like, whoa, I've had this shift. And now I think I'm I'm just going to be like dancing and cruising in existence forever after. But then they get hit even more strongly by layers of, of difficulty, of suffering. Not suffering, not suffering, because suffering involves resistance, but pain. And they're like, huh, that's weird. So therefore, it's actually really good to, to, to have that map and to understand what's going on. Nothing is wrong, uh, but this is actually neat that needs to be happened. And I know that you've had the experience, you just shared it with me, and I've had that too, you know, like post that shift, I also had a period of several months where I was being rattled, you know, and also at the beginning, it's like, oh, that's strange. Uh, but luckily, I had guidance for that, you know, and there might be more rounds of this because we're never finished. It, like each layer with the, with clear, it only makes room for even deeper layers of maybe layers that eventually have never been integrated in this, you know, uh, human shared collective human consciousness so there's always more there's always more like anybody who tells you they're done forget it i i don't believe in that at all you know yeah yeah i think this is really important because even though well first of all it can be quite scary even i think you know like at least if i speak from my own experience yeah to to suddenly be in that kind of uh more visceral you know, uh, kind of experience of being rocked and trying to adapt, you know, to a new orientation and kind of land, find sense of ground. Um, and I think it's a much more comp. When I investigated that, I was like, wow, there's this whole like um, world of people who go through spiritual crises. And, uh, you know, like you said, uh, it's, it's kind of, marketed in a way as this kind of like really shiny kind of beautiful thing. And of course there is a lot of beauty and there is an absolute, uh, you know, like um, what's the word, like gift inside of it, you know, that yes. orientation to awaken is, you know, it doesn't, it's, it leads to a good place, but, um, but I think also what I want to like emphasize and see what you think about this is, is just the, this notion of of like awakening then leading to um, being like a perfect being, you know, that you're a perfect mm-hmm. being certainly. Yeah. And I listened to uh, an interview with Andrew Cohen just the other day who, you know, if you don't know his work, he was one of these gurus who, you know, was uh, venerated and doing, I think, mm-hmm. some really interesting, beautiful things, had a community, but then fell from grace, you know, and one of his, yeah. you know, he's been through this whole journey and basically, one of his main things is it was like I was full of hubris. Yeah, yes, I yeah. I was awakened, but I just yeah. thought I had no shadow. Yeah, you know, and I was told I had no shadow. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. uh, man, you know, he got he, and so he's now like said, look, you know, it's a it's just nonsense. Like that, mm-hmm. if you awaken, you're gonna be. Um, and actually, I think this can, comes back to what Samuel and Linda are teaching. That's so powerful is that. It's a kind of straitjacket as well, you know, like um, it, it it means splitting our experience in some way. Yes. Yes. And so, um, yeah, this notion that actually, no, you can awaken and be human and vulnerable. And there's a beauty, a poetry inside of that. Yeah. Yes. 
So beautiful. Wow, really beautiful what 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 you uh, what you share here. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's that's also why earlier I mentioned that's like I, I consider that the pinnacle of spiritual awakening, the integration of our totality identity as infinite beingness, as well as finite, flawed humanness, and and to hold that and, and embody that in a way that's not split. That to me, that's what this journey is all about. And 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 yes, and it's so interesting. We've seen that with many teachers, the splitting can become even more subtle, and 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 therefore, so because yes, you know, somebody like Andrew Cohen apparently yes, he woke up, and and so so part of his consciousness is kind of plugged into this very subtle dimension, and so there's that, and then the and then the splitting can get even more subtle and even more like sneaky almost because you know it can kind of hide in this in this peaceful. As spaciousness that's also there you know and and yeah many people many teachers have have not recognized this and then i guess if they're lucky at some point they will f- fall flat on their face uh and, and then they can take the opportunity to really begin the work of cleaning up and growing up because again that is a separate dimension from from the awakening um so, so yeah, and of course, when it comes to spiritual teachers, we have then those narcissistic dynamics, you know, the the the, the students who still believe themselves to be less than, who still experience themselves as, you know, like not having something that the teacher has. So they project that kind of uh, their own, you know, like. Uh, less than energy onto the teacher and then the teacher with his own unresolved narcissistic tendencies takes that on and pumps his own sense of betterness up even more and then we have this narcissistic split between teacher and student which we have seen so many times and it's mutually disempowering you know and so good for Andrew Cohen I don't know I know just a little bit about the guy, but good for him that he went through that journey apparently. And and then because then, and let's, let's not make it about him, but like a person like that would then have the uh, opportunity to become humble again. And that's part of the waking down again after waking up, waking down to all the layers of, yes, again, our, our, our trauma, our pain that still operates. And then we can become more humble and then we can drop into the heart more and we can relate to other human beings, anybody, the ones that we work with or anybody we meet, more from a, a space of like shared commonality as opposed to, oh, I have something that you don't have, you know, which is which is not, that's not really in the heart, is it? Um, and for me, if it doesn't come back into the heart, then what's it good for, you know, ultimately? Yeah. Yeah. And when you, when you say the heart, can you say more about your experience of the heart, what you mean mm-hmm. by that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Um, I think probably we can think about the heart in two ways. One is like the heart as in uh, not the, the physical heart, but the heart as in, you know, the heart center where uh, at least the potential for our love and compassion resides, you know? So, so that's, that's what I was just referring to. So, so more like, yeah, can we access the shared love for existence and humanity so we have feelings of love and compassion so there's that in the, but then i think heart we can also understand at an even deeper level um the heart so it's almost like not on an emotional level but the heart as in the oneness the shared oneness 
where we really realize we're not separate, nothing is separate. We we all are connected through and in and actually are part of the same heart. Um, yeah, that's that's what comes mm. to mind. So it's kind of two two layers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um I I would like to ask you in a moment about the work you do with people uh when you're one-on-one or with groups, because I know you're highly skilled and I also know like for example, Nam and the somatic experience, I think too, are also emphasizing, you know, uh kind of way of working this very mindful presence based in the moment. And I think that's to me uh, a really uh, an important area that we've kind of focused on a lot in this podcast. But actually, before we go there, and we're going to tee that up, but I want to ask you about who we become, uh, like in perhaps in a sense of like uniqueness, or um, you know where our gifts uh, can come to the fore. If you have a sense of that, you know, like so in one in one sense, like. You know, the old spiritual view might be that the self is an illusion and, uh, you know, like uh, we've got to transcend the body, transcend the self. That's not who we are. Mm-hmm. And there's perhaps an important, you know, they're point, pointing to awakening as consciousness, yes. which is important. Um, but then there's a denigration of our humanity, perhaps, or our, or our and I, I'm, I'm being very broad there. And I know there's different traditions and they actually do mm-hmm. honor the self in different ways, but I'm just wondering for you, if there's, you know, being a sense. And if you see this in people of like, like once the, there's a trauma resolution taking place more and more, and there's an awakening taking place. If there's a, then like, if there's a space free, you know, more and more is freed up for something to be expressed through that individual. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I see it pretty much exactly the same way as you just described it. One more time, probably the last time. Now, yeah. Let's let's not let's not um, support this idea of 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 splitting. And and yes, it is ultimately important. And I think it's part of our evolutionary journey to uh, recognize fully, unshakably, that. We are consciousness, we are beingness, and the sense of separation on some level ultimately is an illusion. That is true. And let's support the recognition of that, you know, in that in that awakening into our into our truest, fullest nature. And then at the same time, as we have and already uh, you know mentioned a few times, let's honor and support the full integration of our humanness. And as, so that's kind of like, again, this is a term I have from Sandy and Linda. So one is the waking up dimension, and one is the waking down dimension to all the layers, to all our very individual humanness, through our broken places, through our traumatized places. The more we do that, the more our own genuine individuality can shine forth because it's no longer as restricted and bound by by the sense of separation you know and uh, and those kinds of restrictions and yeah what what usually happens is that our individuality and 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 with that of course like you're saying also our like precise individual individual gifts can begin to shine forth more clearly in a more unobstructed way because again it's it happens within way more spaciousness but it's not just abstract it's like we we don't become like a, a blob of nothingness you know it's like we we're still completely our our individual selves too 
And, and yeah, and ideally through the ongoing work, and it goes on and on and on, we can hopefully uh, transmute our trauma in a way that that uh, turns it into alchemically into some sort of a gift, you know, and we can show up more fully and more deeply to what we're here to do and how we can serve the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that becomes part of our conversation too, in terms of like maybe you, maybe you see that those gifts or that individuality coming through in the sessions you do with clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but could you say something about like I'd love to like I'm like zoom in now, like to when you know it's like as if you're sat across from somebody and you're working with them, and I know like you know this is mm-hmm. like a. Um, it's a big question, yeah, because of course there's there's a whole kind of like series of trainings uh, uh, informing what you're doing with people. But could you just give us a sense of like when you're sat with someone, how are you orienting orienting to them, and and yeah. and like what's guiding the process? Yeah. Great, great question again. Oh, yeah, yeah, and you're right. Let's not go into all the like technical details, but I can certainly say something about like the the kind of meta principles of what I do when I sit with a person. And I'm open I'm to open. going into details too. Yeah, the technical. Okay, details. but let's start with the meta yeah. principles. That's definitely yeah, great. sure. Yeah. So what I do is very much, and this is completely moment by moment based. So the t- type of work that I do with people, it's not about you know like explicitly digging in the past and trying to analyze what happened then uh, it's it's moment by moment based and what do i do moment by moment, by moment? i explore question and challenge people's habitual ways of feeling and thinking about themselves other people life and the world in other words they're very specific, unique, and mostly trauma-based filters that they walk around with uh, that shapes their own perception of reality and that keeps them bound in a constricted felt sense of, of living. Wow, that was a long sentence. I hope that makes sense. You're nodding. So, it does. So, yeah, yeah. So so I'm I'm there. I'm, I kind of usually, yeah, hang out in, in quite a sort of, quiet space and i just explore and challenge those very habitual very a lot of times very unconscious so far unquestions unquestioned filters that people hold and actually continue to recreate in themselves each moment without knowing that they're doing that and as i do that there can be these moments of oh of beginning to question in themselves, oh, is this really so? And does this actually hold up, you know, to my to my like preset filters? And and the more that happens, the more space can open up in these kind of constricted and contracted um, filters, you know. Yeah. yeah. How do you know when you're starting to see a filter? Like what 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 are the signs that? Yeah, the yeah. There. I mean, first of all, the fundamental thing to know is that we all have filters. So it's not like I'm waiting, oh, might this person have a filter or not? We all have these filters through which we perceive reality. And in the norm work, we call them survival styles, which means um, that these are like 
adaptive filters that we had to create as children in order to cope with reality, in order to adapt with an environment that most likely was imperfect in some way. So through, through that, we had to like um, suppress certain emotions, perhaps overemphasize other ways how we could show up in the world and kind of like move away to some degree from our own most deeply authentic self, you know, in order, yes, to adapt to the environment. And that then becomes a, a habitual way of functioning. And then we end up believing that that's who we are. And we believing that we end up believing that that's, that that is the world. And, you know, relational dynamics, we then engage in and perceive through a certain filter. So it becomes like this set, again, filter, to use that analogy again. It's very adaptive. It's not the truth of reality, but we had to develop that. And so, so that's my basic assumption that whoever I'll talk to will have their own specific set of, that, of, of those kinds of filters. And then I just get curious about how they organize their reality moment by moment. And that is how I see, ah, this is how they organize their reality. That that shows me what the nature of their filter is. And then I just very gently, in a non-kind of aggressive way at all, kind of exploratory, I I try and kind of poke some holes into, <laughs> into those set filters. That actually sounds more aggressive than it actually is. I question them. That's what I do. And in questioning, uh, I, I I support the beginning of what questioning in the client also. Um, and therefore the beginning of the process of this, this, this identifying from those survival styles or set filters. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced that with you and uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's incredibly non-invasive or, yes. or it's, it's not um, like, cause when you say questioning, you know, it could even sound like, why would you do that? You know, it's not, it's not like that at all. It's like mm-hmm. very, and then, you know, and then for me, it's like, suddenly there's some, suddenly you go, Oh, Oh yeah. Like, that's it. You're like, that's, that, that's, yeah. And, and then there's I mean. an incredible, like, and then the embodied aspect of it, you know, mm-hmm. I think is important uh, that it's happening right now. And then suddenly there's a shift in being like you described where it's like, Oh, I feel a level of like, like a mixture of being coherent myself, like in my body, uh, I'm okay. Like, uh, yeah, all at once, you know, and it's really, and yeah. it, it's, it's very subtle, but extreme at the same time, not actually very mm. powerful, palpable experience. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That was just so beautiful. How you just spoke about that process. I, I don't think I could, could have put it uh, better. Yeah. That just completely nailed it. And also the shifts that can happen, and they're always embodied. This work is also very embodied, um, like with the have a strong focus of embodiment on embodiment. It's not just kind of conceptual, you know, questioning of those of those filters. And there's that uh, on the cognitive level, but it's it's on all levels, and certainly very much on the embodied level. And then when we can, you know, when when we can disidentify from some of those survival styles or filters, then yes, there's always a returning toward our most authentic self. And there we find all these qualities that you just mentioned. And there is again, that link to spirituality or to deeper states of being. And I've seen that a million times in, in sessions with clients, people just kind of drop back into themselves in a way that it's like they land in their own authentic being. And then things go quiet and the heart may open up and the, even the senses change and stuff opens up. And, 
And it's not that we're adding something. It's quite the opposite. We are, we are challenging the extra layers of <laughs> noisy identifications and adaptive survival styles that we have to develop as children, but that continue to take up a lot of energy. And, and, and when we, for a moment, or even, for, even if it's just for a moment, release the grip on those layers, things get quiet and we return to something that we've always already been. So it's not like we have to manufacture that, you know? So that's the beauty. And therefore, you're right, this work is very non-intrusive. It's so non-aggressive. It's so honoring of, of any person's need to that they had as children to organize their reality in that way, you know? So it's it's always just curious. It's never... Uh, it's never aggressive. It's never invasive. Yeah, and that, in my view, that therefore it, it actually makes it more powerful. Mm, exactly. Yeah. 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 Man, I just think of some of the sort of trainings I've done around waking up, where it's been like this, <laughs> the opposite of that. So yeah. you know, like the yeah. I've been in some schools where they're really calling out the ego and stuff, but it, yeah, you know, actually, what it happens is uh, people just conform and hide. You know, to yeah. fit in. Yeah, it's so painful, right? And and what the, those approaches do, and I also have dabbled with some of those, you know, approaches, and they actually only just strengthen the split between the transcendent dimension where there's no more ego and the bad ego that needs to be like, you know, beat up and 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 relinquished, you know. So it only actually reinforces that split at an even more subtle and therefore even more painful level how i see it so yeah yeah uh, yeah right i mean do you have an example that you can maybe share of like a moment where you you know you can remember i mean i don't know if you yeah of course you don't want to reveal details about clients but i'm just wondering about if there's an example of one of these moments where you sort of you know were able to help someone see this filter and disidentify from it right let me see. I mean, uh, out of my data bank of millions of those moments, let me see what comes. Um, yeah, I was working with a client yesterday, and um, as is the case with so many people, that you know, like anger is such an important emotion in the in the in the healing of our human trauma based kind of uh, layers. And so, this person, like so many others as a child had, you know, got punished for, for, for feeling angry in response to their, their parents. And so what did they learn? Of course, they had to learn to split that part of themselves off because it wasn't welcome. It was even punished. So they then became a very quiet, uh, uh, submissive person. And, um, you know, and this is one uh, example of, you know, like a survival style dynamic how we have to adapt to our circumstances. And then that becomes our identity, you see? So with this person, um, and so like they're working in a field where there's a lot of conflict and each time there's some conflict happening, they then take that home with them and they ruminate for days and worry, did they say the right thing? And in the moment of conflict, they go into that submissive place, more like the fawn response, you know? And, and, and so we got to explore that whole dynamic and they're, you know, kind of, fears of that energy of, of, of anger, of that, that kind of charge. 
And as we did that, and but in no moment did I try and kind of push them into their anger. It's like, oh, feel your anger. That would be more that old school approach. I don't, I don't believe in that. But we just got to explore and question. And, and as we did that, they became more and more aware of their of the actual charge in the body, what we could of what we could call anger. It's really just an energy, right? And I was able to help them with identifying what the message is in that anger. And it was a version of like, get out of my space, leave me alone. And, and this is my way or, you know, so, so like very assertive kind of energy they got in touch with. And as that happened, I could see like the whole physiology was changing and they became way more embodied and their senses opened up and, and, and they were, they were able to access a certain level of internal strength that they had never had access before because they had to split off from that energy. And so, so yeah, I could see them drop way more into that deep, authentic self and things became more quiet for them. Not quiet in this kind of, uh, mm, kind of collapsed kind of quietness or more, perhaps more dissociated, but quiet in a very embodied way. So, so yeah, that was a shift into more, into their like, authentic self into into the authentic being as we work through a layer of of what we call identity distortion and also emotional uh resolution you know so that's one example out of so many and i'm just curious for you because you know something in coaching uh we've talked a lot about this on the podcast we've had people like thomas hubel in um you know, even um, other, I'm just naming, you probably won't know, Steve March, who has a, a the Aletheia coaching. And and in a way, like what they're also pointing to, and I'm curious what you think about this is, um, you know, there's, there's a kind of coaching, which is like close the gap coaching, you know, like this is where I am now and this is where I want to be. And mm-hmm. there's some value in that. Mm-hmm. But actually, uh, I think that if you're not careful what that can do is actually uh, re re-emphasize like there's something mm-hmm. wrong now and um, yes. that you need to be in that place over there. And when you're in that place over there, then you'll feel okay. If you develop, you know, uh, another strategy, for example, to, to deal with conflict. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it's like an additive approach on top of yeah. what's already here. Whereas, yeah. you know, I, I think I'm curious what you think about this. Like, how then your clients change from this work, you know, and it, and this might tap into our question around awakening again, where perhaps there's a non-strategic kind of expression of just being Ralph or being Joel that can emerge, Mm. you know, which is, Mm. it's like now not mediated by those traumas anymore. Mm. But so the question is like, how do you see, people changing is it, is it like yeah there's then a, the loss of the, these traumas are integrated and then something spontaneous frees up like yeah, yeah. beautiful beautiful so the work that i do is is not really the the kind of work that's as goal oriented as what you just uh, presented here I, I don't know this other person so i'm not qualified to say anything about it um but it is it's, so it's not it's not goal driven but it's driven by intention. So I always start, whenever I start working with a new client, with a basic question about like, what do they want from this work? So you can say that's a goal. I like to think of it as an intention that they have for themselves. So that 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 is, of course, the, the driver for, for, the, for the work. 
and 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 here's and then here's then the paradigm shift from from that old coaching model to this. So once that's established, then my job in working with the client is to explore what gets in the way of the person having more access to whatever it is that they want for themselves. You see, so this is where it's not additive. Here we are then working through the layers. And that's usually the survival styles. Those are the filters, the identity distortions. As we work through those constricted layers, then the person will naturally find themselves landing more deeply in those deeper spaces. And they're always usually related to those deeper intentions. Because like when a person comes to me like, and I ask them, well, what brings you here? And they say, well, I want to be able to stand up for myself more toward my boss it's like okay cool yeah however though so that's great that's a that's a behavioral goal however though what that really relates to is the development of a capacity if that person develops the capacity to to access their own innate strength and self-assertiveness healthy aggression anger and so forth just use that as an example then naturally they'll be able to speak up for themselves and so, so we're always looking for those deeper capacities and they're innate to us. Here's the thing. We don't have to manufacture them. They're innate to us. As we resolve what's gotten in the way of us living with those uh, capacities that we have as human beings, then they will naturally emerge, you see, and, and emerge. They don't develop. They re-emerge. And I think yeah. that's the important paradigm. We don't have to manufacture them. And so that's the paradigm that I work in. Does that mean it's not helpful to have behavioral goals or that it's kind of, uh, there's anything wrong with them? Of course not. So there is that separate strand. It's like, oh, so where do I feel my next developmental edge? It's like, oh, I want to get better at this and I want to integrate this piece better. Great then we have an orientation toward where we're heading next because the evolutionary impulse in us will never stop. It will never leave us alone. There's always that growth impulse toward more integration. So then when we identify what it is that's, you know, our next growing edge, well, guess what? Then we can do the same thing again. Let's, let me explore what's still been getting in the way of me having more lived access to that, you know? Yeah. There's that. Yeah, let me actually leave it here. Yeah. So, so there's that. So, ah. so the model is always like, what filters are running that are still holding me back from having access to my deepest, fully embodied self with all the capacities that are naturally innate to me as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that to me is a really beautiful example of where awakening and trauma. Uh, connect again because like you said like there's this evolutionary impulse mm -hmm. you know it's there isn't it there's a kind of this intelligence that that um you know i don't know it kind of it's a mystery in a sense but it's like we we're we're evolving you know and um and and so that evolution that evolutionary impulse can guide the inquiry rather than it just without that i think it becomes becomes kind of much less effective and what I think is really interesting, and this is something that, again, I've um, kind of experienced through Steve March's work, but through Almas. He was a student of uh, Almas. For, like you say, in these um, 
these innate capacities that we have actually are an expression of presence, you know, for example, strength, you know, so it's like consciousness itself can actually show up as strength, you know, and it's, and it's not an, it's not um, a kind of strategic strength. That's a strategy. It's actually the strength that shows up spontaneously as a resource in relationship to a situation we find ourselves in. And, mm. and then that, that has been freed up to, to show up uh, through the resolution of the, the, the kind of filters that you're talking about. And, I find that really helpful because, you know, we all know these qualities as well, you know, like love, strength, yeah. uh, uh, passion, yeah. gnosis, you know, a kind of knowing. It, there's mm. so many different ones. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you. And that's because they are so innate to us, these states. Again, I've experienced so many times in, in work with, with clients that as people drop into those states, sometimes I actually do it like overtly I ask them, well, does this feel kind of natural to you? Or is this, and, and they may feel kind of disoriented and stuff. And it's like, huh, what is this? But always something in them, in them, in us knows, knows this, because this is who we most deeply are. And this is innate to us. Even if we spend our whole lives, you know, being very contracted and, and, and thinking of ourselves and, and feeling ourselves as this separate contracted self and all, all of it is difficult and painful. Still, this is innate to us. So something recognizes that as natural, you know, when we drop into those states. So that's what comes to mind. I, I just love what you said. There's one other thing I want to pick up on what you just what you just said, is that like since we can trust that the work, both you and I and ourselves, but also with clients, is driven and shaped by, by a deep intention that the person has for themselves, we can trust that. And, and, and we know that the work will be oriented around that. So whether that intention is, yes, I'd like to be able to speak up more for myself with my boss, or whether my intention is, I want to wake up. The principle is the same. The principle is still, we get to explore what gets in the way of you having access to what you're most deeply wanting for yourself. So, so if your intention is, I want to wake up, well, I'd say then you better be really clear about it. And you also better be prepared to then be with the layers that will reveal themselves to you that have and are still getting in the way of you realizing yourself more fully. And that can get intense, you know. Uh, because if this is truly your deepest heart's intention, your deepest, deepest heart's desire, then some that's this again. This is very mysterious, but something in your being will line up around that, and it will it will orient you there. It will you know, and it will reveal to you what what you're needing to be with. And this may be a short process or a long process. It usually comes with difficulty. Um, but that seems to be necessary, you know? So again, that, that intentionality yeah. is that, that guides the process, whatever the process needs to be for you. Yeah. I think that's the, you know, like experiencing what we could call it awake awareness consciousness is probably like the easy part. The, the, the difficult part is actually, how do you, how do you create, how does that become embodied or mm. integrated? And, and uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I'd say I agree with you. Having glimpses into that, in a way, is very easy, you know, 
really. I mean, spend an hour on, on YouTube and search the right things. You can get glimpses into awareness. You know, it actually takes no time. Anytime you could it's like just tune into the quality of awareness and there you are. And, and you, you can easily get a glimpse into what people call it true nature as awareness. So there's that. And that is profound. But of course, to, to stabilize in that recognition, that's, that's then the work, you know, and, and for many people, it's like, they do have this shift, like from one moment to the next. And you really, um, yeah, again, not, so this goes beyond having a glimpse, but you actually really wake up into that dimension of yourself. And it's kind of like more like an up and out kind of, you know, direction and energetic kind of configuration. And, and so there's that. However, then the difficult part still comes the reintegration, the waking down to all the layers. And, um, let me leave it here. We, we could we could take it to even more detail, but the, uh, we talked about this before. But it's, I think it's so important to understand those directions. You know, uh, waking up and out versus and also waking down and integrating. Some sometimes this process of waking up, like with many people, it happens bam one moment. But with other people, it also can happen over time. It's more like a slowly melting into this state, and then before it's like oh. Uh, strange. I, I actually experience reality completely differently. So, so it, it's different for each person, you know. But either way, the work of reintegration still needs to happen. Otherwise, you're just going to be hanging out in a split. It's a more spacious split, but it's still a uh, not fully integrated split. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe it's even more common that people gradually kind of sink into that. And so, I, I mean, I've heard others say this, like sometimes teachers are working with students where they didn't even realize that they, they, that they were kind of awakened and they needed to be yeah. pointed out, which I find really interesting. Right. But yeah, yeah. That, wanna, tends to, that seems to happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about the, the potency of working in the present moment as well, because uh, I know that's a key part of the work you do. And, uh, it just seems so key as well. I'm just wondering if you could say for yourself, like what, what is it about that that's so important? Great. Yeah, you know what? If we can link this to what we just talked about, the recognition that ultimately, really, we are consciousness embodied. And ultimately, just on this ultimate level, the sense of time doesn't even exist. There is no past. There is no future. There's just this somewhat strange emergence of the eternal now, this present moment without sense of time. On that continuum of our totality identity, of course, there is also time. The sense of linear time also does exist. So it doesn't exist and it does exist. This is this recognition is full of paradoxes. The mind will never understand this stuff. You know, but 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 realizing that ultimately there's only me here, whatever or whoever that me is. And this is me. And this is reality, which is not even separate. So why am I saying this? Because I am through my perceptual filters creating moment by moment my experience of reality. Reality doesn't exist as such. I am kind of shaping my experience of reality through my perceptual filters, 
Now the question is, my perceptual filters, they don't run five minutes ago or five years ago or in three years. They run now. So the only place I can really access them are now. So that's why, it, to me, it makes so much sense to just work and explore these filters moment by moment by moment, because we continue as we go through those moments, we continue to reshape our sense of being, our sense of identity, our experience of reality based on those filters. And this is so automatic, we have no awareness of it. This is like water to a fish. But but the, the poking holes into that needs to happen in this moment. And so, so that's my answer to your question. However, that doesn't mean we cannot talk about stuff that happened in the past. That's sometimes absolutely relevant and necessary. Uh, but even our memory of the past only exists in this present moment. Everything only exists in this present moment. Where's the past? It's, 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 it's just the past only exists on the level that I still meet what's here in the present moment based on perceptual filters that I have developed in my past. The past as such is over. It doesn't exist. So I'm like recreating those like memory traces of the past in the present moment and in the next moment, in the next moment. And, and that's the access point into, into those filters. Yeah. Oh gosh, I hope that makes sense. It was a little complex, but yeah. no, no, it totally, totally makes sense. And, um, you know, I think it's just uh, for me points to the necessity of of uh, yeah working with with the the current moment. You know, because like mm-hmm. that's like you're saying. You know, it's where everything's showing up. Like even if you're talking about the past, you know, that's okay. But you want to be. It's 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 like how is how is that sh- relevant to now, to what's showing up here, right now, and I think also. The body is also, you know, is here right now too, isn't it? That's what's cool about the body. Exactly. Same thing. It's here right now. And does it still hold memory memory traces of the past? Of course it does. But again, the past only exists in the body in the form of the memory traces that I'm recreating, we could say, moment by moment. Yeah. So so that's the that's this interesting paradigm shift, yeah. And one thing I think is interesting is the, um, and I think this is this is part of NARM and somatic experiencing. But um, you know, I know in my own coaching, uh, especially in the early days, you know, I'd be like, um, kind of like putting my own agenda in on the client, or like we're going to be here right now, you know, <laughs> and like, <laughs> and like. You know, kind of like, and and then the intensity just amps up too high, and right. then you know, there's you know, getting people are getting blown out. Right, and, it's like, and like so. There's something about on, yeah. yeah, that ability to like attune to like the right amount of mm. of attunement, and, yeah. and maybe yeah. Could you speak to that? Like, Very nice, and you see how that how respectful that is, that attunement to the capacities of the client in each moment. You know, that's so different from, okay, we're here in a session, bam, let's be present, you know, and the person may not have the capacity to be as present as you would want them to be. So, so here you can still, of course, offer your own transmission and, and offer in the energetic field, relational field, however much presence you're able to embody at that moment. And that will, that will be communicated. They will pick up on that in some way, 
but that's very different from okay let's be present together you know so 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 you you transmit whatever you transmit and then you attune gently ideally lovingly to where the person's at and then you invite them into the exploration of what still contracts them where they're still like moving away so to speak we can never really move away but in a way move away from from their authentic self, their authentic being moment by moment. I think that's a much more respectful uh, approach than saying, okay, let's be present and we need you there in three sessions, you know. How, how do you, I mean, I'm not quite sure what the right question is here. I guess I'm wanting to know is like, how do you track that movement, perhaps uh, that the client might be doing um, uh, from like being more present and 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 to mm-hmm. attuned to like moving up, uh, being maybe more like a releasing or an easing up of that mm-hmm. presence. Mm-hmm. And when when like if there's a natural rhythm, and do you guide? Do, are you guiding that rhythm? Or are you holding space for it? What's the? Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't guide it. I just I, I I mean I don't even I don't think I would say I, I hold space for it. But yeah, I. I I track that as best as I can and explore those dynamics. We like to call them like connection, disconnection dynamics. And uh, in each moment we, we can track like how connected is the person to themselves and what are the ways and strategies in which they disconnect from themselves. That's really all we do. That's all I do in my work. And how do I do that? I'm not sure if there's a how. Um, it's just trying to have my uh, kind of, perceptive channels as open as possible that has a lot to do with our own capacity to track ourselves to be present with ourselves to be able to track our own connection disconnection dynamics moment by moment the more we can do that with ourselves the more usually we're also able to track another so that's a function of largely of our own work that we have done and how yeah how present we're able to be with ourselves and um, then that becomes more easily available some people seem to naturally have a strong capacity for attunement. Um, but, but more than anything, I'd say that's the, capa- that, like the, the capacity for that is, is, a, is a function of the, the work that we've done in ourselves. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And, mm. and I imagine also coming back repeatedly to being with people so that you're, you're refining that, that sensitivity uh, you know, yeah. and, and pattern recognition and certain transmission. Yeah, yeah. Of course, in many ways, it's a practice. Like, you know, the 10,000 hours, like if you want to learn how to play chess well, you just put put in the hours and then your your skills will get more refined. It's the same with this work. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're, we're kind of um, kind of coming to the end of our conversation. And I'm just wondering if there's anything you didn't share that you want to bring in. Uh, maybe even maybe even an invitation to people. Uh, you know, of course, we want to point to your work in a moment, but you know, maybe just a kind of you know a loving invitation to people on this path or whatever whatever you want to share. Basically, yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about this, but what comes to mind is um, I really like the the two main qualities that I that I that I often also invite people uh, to as they do their own inner work are curiosity and friendliness so wherever you are whatever your next leading edge is whatever you're grappling with wherever you're wanting to go next just see if you can 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 
yeah, meet yourself as best as possible with those attitudes of curiosity and friendliness. Um, that's one thing. And, and the other thing, yeah, to be as clear as we can be about our intention. Now, sometimes in this work, we like to refer to it as our deepest heart's desire. You know, I think that's really so important. The clearer we can be about a yeah, heart's desire, our intention, um, the more of a roadmap we, roadmap we have for our healing, for our next steps in our evolutionary unfolding. And, and then we feel less like just kind of leaf in the wind, like, oh, my God, I don't know what's going on. I feel crappy and I want to feel better. It's like, I think intentionality is really key. Uh, I almost feel it's some sort of an, like an organizing principle for reality, you know. Uh, um, so, yeah, so that's the other thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Mm. Well, I uh, I really enjoyed myself in this conversation, Ralph. I, I love like the combination of awakening and trauma, mm -hmm. and I think it points to the spirituality of of the, these times. And I just love getting into the like you know the detail, the interior of like what is it like to be with uh, to be you with a client and doing your work. Mm -hmm. So thanks so much for, uh, for yeah. You're so welcome. A total pleasure. I've absolutely enjoyed every moment too. It's been wonderful. Nice. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And actually, where can we find out more about your work, you know, websites or anything? Yeah. Like that? Let, let me just out of the various websites that I have point people to. Um, so this is um, embodied-trauma-healing.com. That has the information about like the type of work that I do in this sphere that we've been talking about. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. People are most welcome to, to take a look. And uh, see if we want to if we want to join any any of my offerings. I yeah, there's there's a few in the pipeline, and some are already existing. So yeah, please come take a look and reach out. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again: if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there, and. Just want to end by wishing you well and I'll see you again next time. <laughs> <laughs>